The Musonomics Podcast is supported by the Music Business Program at New York University's Steinhardt School of Culture, Education, and Human Development. For information, visit steinhardt.nyu.edu slash musicbiz. Welcome to Musonomics. I'm Larry Miller from the Music Business Program at NYU Steinhardt. We would go to the publisher and say, we want to license your lyrics. And they would say, okay, which one? And we would say, all of them. And that blew their mind. That is Daryl Ballantyne. He's talking about a form of music license, which is a kind of a contract, like a written permission to do something with a piece of music owned by someone else. Daryl Ballantyne is the founder and CEO of LyricFind, a company specializing in licensing lyrics for digital uses, like being able to do a Google search or displaying lyrics on a website or an app. The lyric licensing business has come a long way since Daryl first started LyricFind, and some songwriters are starting to notice, songwriters who are often struggling to be able to sustain themselves by just writing songs in the digital era. So today on our podcast, we're going to talk about the part of music that's made up of words, the lyrics, and the people behind them, the songwriters. Stay with us. When I was young, I was glued to the LP covers of my favorite records, following along with the lyrics as I listened. I still know a lot of lyrics by heart. The Beatles' Sgt. Peppers, thought to be the first time lyrics had ever been included in an album cover. Led Zeppelin's printing the lyrics to Stairway to Heaven, but none of the other songs on Houses of the Holy. The lyrics to Tommy in Quadrophenia from The Who. And Ziggy Stardust from David Bowie. Ziggy played guitar, jamming good with web and gilly, and the spiders from Mars. He played it left hand, but made it too far. I'm not sure what that says about me and the first generation of British rock, but lyrics display has all changed in the digital age, when many of us listen to music through streaming services on our phones. Lyrics still matter, of course, and sometimes, even if we're listening on our phones, we do want to know what the exact lyrics are. Maybe we can't really hear what they're singing, or we want some help memorizing them. Most people, and I do it too, Just go online and search for the lyrics. A number of websites will pop up, and you'll likely just pick the first one and don't think too much about it. But have you ever stopped to think about how those lyrics ended up on that website? And if the people putting them up there actually have the right to do so? And are the people who wrote the lyrics being compensated for it? Musonomics reporter Upendo Kisai asked New Yorkers on the street how they learn lyrics. My name's Lily. What's one song that you know all of the lyrics to, or at least most of the lyrics to? Hello by Adele. (laughs) Hello from the other side. (laughs) At least I can say that I try to tell you I'm sorry for everything. When was the last time that you looked up lyrics online? Um, I look up lyrics a lot, actually. Anytime it's like a fast rap song or something and I want to know what they're saying, yeah. Have you ever thought about whether or not those websites are licensed or whether or not licensing is part of the lyric posting process? 
Um, honestly, no. Sometimes I just Google like a certain song's lyrics, and then it just pops up on Google, and I just read that. So my name's Anasu. Is there any song that you know almost all the lyrics to? Yes. Um, that song is All Falls Down by Kanye West. Um, I'm not going to sing the chorus because I can't sing, but I will rap uh, maybe the first verse. Um, man, she's so self-conscious. She has no idea what she's doing in college. The major that she majored in don't make no sense, no make no money. She won't drop out. Her parents will look at her funny now. Tell me that ain't insecure. That's enough money to buy her a new weave. Wait, <laughs> I messed up, but... It's much one of my favorite songs. Um, how did you memorize those lyrics, or how do you normally memorize lyrics? Normally, I just listen to songs over and over again, and then I just internalize the lyrics. Yeah. Uh, when was the last time you looked up lyrics online? Mm. Well, I only look up lyrics for like two reasons. Either I'm confused about like a certain word or a particular phrase, like um, part of a song, or I want to know like what the meaning is behind a lyric. I feel like it was a Hamilton, yes, it was a Hamilton song from the Hamilton mixtape. Um, there's a song called Immigrants, We Get the Job Done, and there's a portion in Spanish, and like I always loved the way it sounded. I was like, I want to know what they're saying, and so I went and looked it up. Millions of people look up lyrics online every month. When the popular website Genius, formerly known as Rap Genius, the site that compiles annotations of song lyrics, listed their most searched lyrics of 2016, three out of the top five most searched lyrics were by the rapper Designer. A lot of people needed a little help understanding the words to Panda, which has been streamed over a half billion times on Spotify alone. So are the lyrics on Genius licensed? They are now. In late 2013, the National Music Publishers Association, a trade group representing thousands of music publishers, put Genius at the top of the list of 50 unlicensed lyric websites. In their complaint, the NMPA asserted that over half the lyric page views in the world were unlicensed. And in 2014, the conflict was resolved and Genius reached a licensing agreement with music publishers. That deal was a victory for the songwriters and publishers and a sign that the music publishers are regaining some control in the digital music landscape which is something that Daryl Ballantyne, the CEO and founder of Lyric Find, is working really hard to achieve. I sat down with Daryl last week, and not only is he an expert in lyrics licensing, he also happens to be really good at naming songs just by hearing a line or two from the lyric, without having to look it up online. But there was this one time when he actually didn't know, and his friend went online to search for the lyrics. So then Chris went off to try to find it online by searching for the lyrics and came back and said, all these lyric sites out there suck. Uh, none of them let, let me search by the lyrics. Let's start our own. And that was the, the genesis of what ended up becoming Lyric Find, uh, originally as uh, an attempted consumer-facing lyric website that we failed to get licensing for back in, in 2000, 2001. Uh, but then we came back to the company in 2004 as an aggregator when the, the industry had, and licensing had caught up a little bit. 
How are publishers and songwriters thinking about monetizing lyrics? They weren't really thinking about it from a digital perspective. At that point, any lyric licensing was one-offs for inclusion in a book or uh, a, a, a songbook of an artist's lyrics or reprinting in a, uh, a magazine and that. So when we initially tried to get the licensing for it, uh, we would go to the publishers and say, we want to license your lyrics. And they would say, okay, which one? And we would say, all of them. And that blew their mind. Uh, it, and we had major publishers send us a lyric licensing request form that was uh, a single-page form uh, that was to license one individual song. And we we weren't going to fill out a million of, of these, and we didn't even know what their catalog was. We just wanted everything to be able to include it. So it there was a bit of an education process of how the industry could work, how licensing could could happen, and what the economics were uh, around the lyric sites that were out there right now that if you went and, and looked at them, you'd think that they were terrible and uh, they were being run by a teenager out of his, their parents' basement and there was no way they were making any money off of it when in fact... Uh, they they were terrible and and they were being run by a teenager in their parents' basement, but they were making a lot of money off of advertising, and that needed to be shared and captured. And so you helped them solve that problem by getting blanket licenses from the publishers, right? So we did uh, we did licenses with now over four thousand publishers, but originally our first license was with EMI Music Publishing. At the time, they were the biggest publisher out there, and then gradually everybody else fell into place and we had the luxury of uh, being essentially found money for them and I think the people at a lot of the publishers were a little skeptical about whether or not we could we could provide them with revenue for this and monetize it so they didn't necessarily put too much uh, time into the into the deal to to get it done so it wasn't filled with onerous terms or massive advances because it was kind of, you know, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it's no different. We weren't cannibalizing anything. Uh, and then gradually it worked and everything caught up. You must have had to educate the people in the industry a fair amount about what it was you were going to do to turn lyrics display into money, right? Absolutely. And luckily, because we had tried to start a consumer-facing site before in, in 2000, we knew what those economics were. We knew about the the ad industry and the rates and we knew about the traffic levels of a lot of those so we could we could apply the math to it uh, and we could show them how much sites could afford and and looking up traffic stats uh, as much as we could then to determine what the market was there and when showing it to them they say okay that I mean if you can get it that would be great we'd be happy to get some money off of this and the models held up. So what are the uses for lyrics display in the digital context today? Well, now uh, there's been an evolution of, of the digital music industry as a whole. Right Back in 2004, when we were starting as, as a B2B service, there wasn't really a music streaming service out there with any notable success. Now you've got Spotify and Apple Music and Google Play and Pandora and iHeartRadio and Deezer and everyone else that is out there that is in the music streaming 
game. And a lot of that has led to the consumption of lyrics at the point of music consumption. It used to be people would look at uh, lyrics if they're listening to a CD. They might go in and Google them. Uh, or they were uh, listening to music in some other place, uh, and then they would go uh, and look them up online. Now, in most of those scenarios, they're able to access the lyrics directly when they're also accessing the music. Uh, and then the the lyric sites as well have been uh, marginalized a little bit more by uh, search engines. Uh, we license both Bing and Google to have lyrics in their search portals. Uh, so if you're searching on Google for uh, a lyric, the results will show up right within there, uh, right within the search engine, rather than having to go and click off to another uh, lyric website. Is it a true statement that in the deal that you made with Google that you're able to display lyrics inside of Google searches and that Google now runs advertising against those searches and that now there's found money as a result of that deal that comes back to publishers and writers through Lyric Find. Absolutely. Every deal that we do uh, is based on a licensing fee. Uh, and that licensing fee gets shared back with the publishers and songwriters uh, to compensate them for the use of, of their work. And this is a use that didn't exist 10 years ago. Right. Well, in in the case of searching for lyrics on Google, it did exist, just nobody was getting paid, uh, except for except for the lyric sites. And and Google, yeah, with the the ads that it would show there. But uh, I remember looking at Google's search uh, advertising and looking up the term lyrics and how much it would cost back then when we were first getting started. And it was basically nothing because nobody was trying to advertise against it. So I'm not even sure Google was making any money back then uh, off of the, that particular search term. Is this a significant part of Lyric Find's business? Uh, well, I would say that it, the Google implementation itself is, they're one of our, our top clients. I mean, it's, we don't have any one client that is overpowering uh, in it, but it's, it's a meaningful amount of money that gets paid back to the publishers. Uh, that is a direct result of the license with Google. And the revenues that come from those licenses didn't even exist, even though the searching was happening anyway. Exactly. exactly. It's found money for, for the publishers and songwriters. And, you know, I, I see songwriters and, and meet with them from time to time. Uh, and it's always great to hear when they say, oh, I see Lyric Find as a line item on my, on my statement uh, from the publishers. And, you know, that it, the money gets to them, and the money matters to them. What other kinds of lyrics licenses exist today that maybe weren't so top of mind or so important a decade ago? Well, one of the things that uh, that we're working on now that we, we've just been finalizing a lot of licenses on is on-demand lyric merchandise. Uh, so the ability for uh, a user to pick any line from any song and have that printed on a custom-made T-shirt or a coffee mug or a phone case or even things like a shower curtain or a duvet cover. Uh, and that was stuff that before merch licensing for lyrics was always done as a one-off where there would be one lyric that was licensed to make 20,000, 30,000, 40,000 T-shirts, but it was just that one design. Now we're taking, in, in, in essence, 
the same strategy that we uh, used with the lyric sites that were unmonetized. Uh, we're taking activity that's happening now on sites like Etsy or other customizable platforms to create your own merch and licensing it uh, and creating a platform for users and our clients to facilitate the creation of this merchandise while properly compensating the rights holders. Daryl, looking ahead, what are the trends or opportunities that you're looking at over the next year or so at the forefront of digital lyric licensing? Uh, I think the big things for us uh, beyond the basics of continuing international expansion in more languages, and that is uh, things like translations, being able to make music relatable and understandable to everyone around the world uh, and open open people's eyes to not just new music, but new cultures and new languages. Music can be such a great learning tool. We just did a deal with a company called Linguition that's using lyrics as a language learning learning tool. Uh, and so many people that you talk to when they're learning English, they they do it through media. They do it through music and television and movies, and that's uh, a big source of, of education. And I think by providing translations of the lyrics, we can make it that much easier and useful for people to see not just what uh, the English version of the lyrics are to, to read it, but what that means in their own language. Daryl Ballantyne is, of course, interested in running a successful business, but there are others who benefit from his work, too. Besides music publishers, songwriters also benefit from lyric licensing. Phil Galston's songs have sold 70 million copies worldwide. He's the director of the songwriting program at NYU Steinhardt and the faculty songwriter-in-residence. I talked to Phil about lyrics from a songwriter's perspective and how he thinks the job of the songwriter has evolved as the industry has changed. I make it a habit to ask audiences, whether they're students in a songwriting class, students in music business, or more general audiences with whom I speak, to vote. Which do they listen to first when they hear a new piece of music? It's about 95% to 5% in favor of music. What attracts them first is music. That could be the beat, that could be the melody, it's usually the melody, but it could be the combination, doesn't matter. Then I ask songwriters, which do they work harder on, lyric or music? It's about 95 to 5 for lyric. So then I always say, don't you feel like a schmuck? You're working unbelievably hard on the part that the audience pays less attention to. But this is where the craft lies, because it's in the marriage of the two. And it's been said that what you do is you take your initial inspiration, assuming it really grabs you, and you try to get that first burst out. And then the next 80% is trying to build something you can stand behind, polishing the rough edges so they're as smooth as you think appropriate. And if you don't think that involves craft, it does. Now, first of all, the basic building blocks and on the musical side, you've got melody. What do we all whistle in the shower? What do we hum while we're driving? The melody. And yes, rap music changed a lot of that. It's not like that isn't melody. It just happens to be relatively static melody. Why are the great rappers great rappers? Because there's a tone in their voice. 
that's something like melodic singing. It's just a different approach to it. So you've got melody, you've got harmony. What is harmony? Harmony is the harmonic content, what most people think of as the chords, that form the foundation on which the melody sits and the melody integrates. Then you've got rhythm, then you've got rhyme. One of my favorite exercises is to play for my students in their first class with me, Paul Simon's America, which I think is one of his great, greatest songs. So we bought a pack of cigarettes And this is when That's a song full of imagery. Concludes with a great line, Counting the cars on the New Jersey Turnpike, they've all come to look for America. When it's over, I ask the students to tell me what, they, what they've heard. Tell the class, what have you heard? People talk about this city was mentioned, that city was mentioned, there's a man with, with a gabardine suit, etc., etc. I've never had a single student say there were no rhymes in the song, but there are no rhymes. So here you have one of the greatest practitioners of the art and craft throwing out one of the tools while he's writing a great song. So that illustrates the tool belt concept that you show up and you look at the tools. Sometimes you use them, sometimes you don't. And it also illustrates the craft. And that meant if he didn't have rhyme, he didn't have the linchpins that help propel the audience's involvement along. So he's, more, he's got to do more work on the other parts of the craft. The melody's got to be better. The story's got to be more interesting. The rest of the words have to sound better because he's not taking us to the destination that we so long for, that great rhyme. What's changed about the process of songwriting in the modern world? Well, first of all, attention spans have, in the most commercial forms of songwriting, demanded um, a much greater don't bore us, get to the chorus mentality. And you'll hear some very prominent songwriters with whom I must say I strongly disagree say to students and others, if you don't get to the chorus by 60 seconds, I've heard one really prominent songwriter say, if you don't get there by 45, forget it. To me, that's way too narrow a way of thinking. And that's because in the history of songwriting, the great songwriters broke new barriers by refusing to think the way their predecessors thought. Otherwise, there never would have been a Dylan. And if there hadn't been a Dylan, there wouldn't have been a Lennon. If there hadn't been a Lennon, there wouldn't have been, you know, on and on. It just, that's the way it goes. And whether that means that, yeah, Dylan took a different path to get there and didn't have hit singles till he was well into his career, fine. I mean, I don't think the world is unhappy about that. He might have... His accountant might have been unhappy for a while, but I don't think so. I think that's the, that kind of commitment. But nonetheless, we live in a highly commercial society, and this tremendous pressure based on attention span is is dramatic. And that you know that attention span is not just fueled by shorter and shorter film cuts and uh, shorter commercials. It's the rapidity of life, and it's the access to the technology. I would say to students, what's your job as a songwriter, particularly one trying to write something popular? It's to prevent the audience from hitting skip. So that's a serious pressure. The second thing that's changed is 
urban music has radically changed both syntax, pacing. I mean, think about pacing for a second. Most songs, most big urban songs are written and recorded at very slow tempi, but the pace of the story is the same as the pace, sometimes faster than the pace of most great pop songs over the years. So what I mean is if I say, here's our tempo, ba ba but I would say, so the pace of the message, the pace of the story is faster. So that's greatly affected popular songwriting, I think for the better. Are you optimistic about the future of songwriting as a profession? I'm optimistic that there will always be a reason to write songs. I'm optimistic that there will be always be an audience for great songs. I'm optimistic that today's media gives you the opportunity, the average songwriter, the opportunity for far greater exploitation. What I am cautiously optimistic about, because my mother taught me to be, is that we can actually reach a sustainable model across the business so that those who are our partners in exploiting and promoting our work can benefit from all the hard work we put in. Anytime somebody says that music is or should be free or anything less than what it really should receive in compensation, they're making a mistake. The reason it can't be free is it costs the creator too damn much to make it. That was Phil Goldston. If you want to hear Phil talk more about the craft of songwriting, go to our website where you can hear a longer version of the interview. If you want to quote song lyrics in a book or magazine, it's well understood that you need to get permission. The display of song lyrics on websites and apps also requires permission, usually from the publisher on behalf of the songwriter. Reprinting of copyrighted lyrics without permission is not considered fair use of copyrighted material can constitute a claim of infringement, and is just not fair to music creators. Fortunately, today we have many legal alternatives to looking up unauthorized versions of song lyrics online. That's it for this episode. Thank you to our guests, Daryl Ballantyne and Phil Goldston. The Musonomics Podcast is produced by Musonomics LLC, strategy consulting and analytics for and about the music industry. This episode was produced by senior producer Asa Secker. Technical production by Ibar Aiden. Thanks to Bendo Kisai and Josh Viner. If you like what you heard on this episode of Musonomics, please give us a review on iTunes. It only takes a minute and is so important in helping new listeners find our podcast. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can find our contact information on our website at musonomics.com. From the Music Business Program at NYU Steinhardt, I'm Larry Miller. Thanks for listening.